0: our father who lives in heaven hallowed be thy name your kingdom come your will be done on earth as it is in heaven at seven o'clock this morning in ukraine 11 o'clock p.m. last night here Many of these same people that you saw in the video gathered for prayer on the square for the 645th day. They have prayed in rain. They have prayed in snow. This morning, they would have had to use a flashlight to read the Bible because at 7 o'clock in the morning there, it's dark. Many of them travel an hour from their home to get there by 7 o'clock to pray. The prayer time began uh, on March 3rd, 2014, the day after a group of pastors came together after Russia took over Crimea, and they said, what can we do as a church? And they said, we can pray. So the next morning, about 15 brothers gathered together in the main square, in front of Lenin's statue, not behind it like it is here in this video. And they prayed. And they went to their churches because it was a Sunday morning and shared with their churches what God had laid on their hearts. And within the next week, there were over 150 people gathered to pray. It was never, there's never been a time when the Orthodox and Baptist and Pentecostals and Charismatics came together In unity, never. And yet, because of war, God brought them together to do what is most important to seek God and to seek His mercy and ask for peace. Kharkov is a city of a million and a half people, and the region of Kharkov has three million. But in the last two years, 250,000 to 400,000 displaced persons from the regions just to the south of Kharkiv have come into that region because their cities were under attack. They were, for many of them, there is no home to go back to. They have been destroyed. And most of them came out of that war zone with the clothes on their back and a couple of bags. All they could carry and put on a very crowded bus or van that simply had a sign that said, this is women and children, so that it wouldn't be stopped and wouldn't be attacked on its way out of the war zone. For many of them, they stopped at a little church right on the other side of the border of Donetsk region and Kharkiv region, a city called Izum, which means raisin. So it's the city of raisins. And the, there was a pastor in Slavyansk, one of the first cities that was bombed heavily. And that pastor knew this young man that pastored this church in his And he called him and said, I'm sending people to your church. Over a nine-month period, that little church that had about 30 active members ministered to over 5,000 refugees as they came out of The region to the south. Women in the church prepared hot meals every day. They put their pews together and put mattresses on them provided by Baptist Global Relief to help people sleep at night because they had nowhere else to go. And then the youth of the church had boards put up with maps and how they could get from one place to the other. Often the church helped them buy tickets for the train or the bus, or just found somebody that was going away from there to help them get out of the the area that was so close to the war. That little church today, one year and nine months later, is still ministering to displaced people. The pastor is 35 years old, has five children, a sixth on the way, living in a little four-room house. He receives no salary. And yet, almost every single day, 24 hours a day, for many months, he was at that church pouring his life into the lives of his church as they ministered to others. And that's just one example of what Ukrainians have done for Ukrainians in the midst of a war situation. The Baptist church, when you hear the word Baptist in Ukraine it's it's almost synonymous for most Ukrainians with Jehovah's Witnesses because under communism they were considered the same and even to this day 20 years after the fall of communism it's the same in the minds of most Ukrainians if you asked a Ukrainian are you a Christian they're going to say yes because most of them were baptized as an infant in the Orthodox Church it's their culture To be Ukrainian is to be Orthodox. The word for Orthodox in Russian, pravoslavnaya, means true faith. So, in the minds of every Ukrainian that is not a born again believer, that church is true faith, which means every other church is not. And yet, that church is a church of works. There are believers in the Orthodox Church because our God is able. Yet as a church, as a denomination, it is a works-oriented denomination. So grace is unknown. The Baptist churches, because of communism, were very closed when I moved to Ukraine 17 years ago. Many of them still are today. You can imagine, if we were living in a communist country, number one, the children could not be here because children were not allowed to be taught. Bible. They were not allowed to be together in a church setting until they were teenagers. Number two, you'd be looking around to see who else was here that you didn't know because it may be someone who's writing down names to take to the government to say this person is a Baptist. My friend Nadia that was in the video. I've known her since I moved to Harkov 12 years ago uh, and and we we spend hours literally praying together as we travel but Nadia grew up in a non-believers home but she had a aunt who became a believer and she saw the family and how God worked in that family and what a cha- what a difference it was from hers and she decided at 17 that she was going to become a believer so she went forward in a Baptist church, accepted Christ, probably a year later was baptized because they would never baptized quickly. Knowing that when she made that profession of faith, there would be no chance for her to go to college. There would be no chance for her to become the English teacher that she wanted to be. She was making a decision to work on a collective farm or in a factory or some other kind of menial labor in order to survive because she was a Baptist. Let me ask you, what has it cost you to be a follower of Christ? And should it cost us something? There's a book out called The Insanity of God written by a man who he and his, his wife were missionaries in Sudan or Somalia. I always get them confused. And yet, when he went to that country, there were so many believers. There were not a lot of believers. But when they left that country after years of service, there were fewer. Because the believers had been martyred. And so he wrote this book. The deals, he went across the world with his wife to all these countries where persecution is rampant, and yet people are following Christ, knowing that when they make that decision, it can either separate them from their family, it can put them in prison, it can cost them their lives. And many of these interviews that he had, the people would say, it's, it's what the Bible teaches, persecution will come. So what does it cost you? And if it hasn't cost you anything, why hasn't it? Where are you drawing the line in the sand that says, God, I, I can't go any further. This is, this is what I'm alive for. And yet God is saying, but I have so much more. If you'll just give it all, give it all and I'll give you so much more. The people that, (laughs) those are my friends that that you saw in that video, they've all become friends because I live right behind that square. And and daily during the first months of the war, I was there uh, every day because it sustained me. I would start my day on my knees because I had to because I was a little scared when things first started happening I lived 20 miles from the Russian border and troops were amassing right on the other side of that border and there was a week when our government and the Ukrainian government was saying the Russians are coming this weekend and my boss who lives and lived in another city he was saying okay pack a bag and come on and as I was talking to him, I said, okay, I'll do that. And I was praying. I was walking on the street and I was praying. And God just said, I have not told you to go. I want you to stay. And I had peace. <laughs> I, I mean, I just, I knew that was God. I knew I was supposed to stay. And, and I never feared again. And only God can do that. Yet he did, and he does. But that little group of people that you saw that at times numbers 150, other times is 30, they come together with no no pride, simple humility. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I'll hear from heaven. It doesn't say, if your lost neighbor will repent, then I'm going to hear. It says, if I will humble myself and pray, and I turn from my wicked ways, then he will hear from heaven. Do you want this church to be a catalyst that moves mountains of lostness around you? And I would believe that every member of this church would say yes. And then God says, okay, this is what it's going to cost you. And that's when we begin to say, well, it's not in my budget. Whether it's your budget of time, our energy, our money, we begin to close the door because it looks impossible. And God says, but I want you to do the impossible. I want to do the impossible through you. I've been on in Kharkiv for 12 years and in Ukraine for 17 and watched many things change. But the last two years, I have seen people walk through the door of Baptist churches that never would have before. People who are hopeless, people who are helpless, people who do not know where their next meal is coming from. And I have watched a very poor... Baptist community say this is what God has told us to do and they do it and God provides. And it's, it's been fun to watch that part. It's not fun at all the suffering and the war and everything else. But to watch God's people take him at his word and make that step of faith and then God provides. That's exciting. And that's what God wants to do here. And That's what God wants to do in Seattle. This is an international community. I, I'm amazed when I hear how many internationals you have in this small city. You've got the world here. I'm sure you've got Ukrainians here that do not know Jesus. Go. Don't wait to ask, should I go? Because he's already said, Go. Simply get on your knees and say, where, Lord? And I say, yes, Lord. In Psalm 27, 4, David said, I have asked one thing of the Lord. This is what I desire. If you were to say, ask the Lord for one thing this moment, what would it be? One thing. What's the first thing that comes into your mind? And that will give you some idea of what is standing between you and God unless you answer as David did. It's what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. Before you leave this place today, settle that that one thing has to be God or everything else is going to be blurred it's going to be less and it's going to be costly. We just think it's costly to be a believer. The real cost is if you don't know him because knowing him provides us with all we need. You know, if I was in a Ukrainian church, um, I'd have two hours and they'd still say, keep going. I know I'm not and I won't do that to you. My heart, I want you to know those folks that pray in the square, they pray for this country. They pray for you. They pray for God's people in this land because they see what's happening here. We have a war there, but you've got a bigger war here. Right outside your doors. There's going to be a day when Jesus returns, and it could be today. And when he does, those of us who know Jesus are going to join him. But below us, as we look upon the face of Jesus, are we're going to hear the wails, the cries of those who did not know him, left behind. And those who had a choice and chose not to believe. You are Jesus today. To the people around you. You are the only one that many people will ever see and will ever hear speak the name of Jesus with love. And it will cost. It may cost you position in your company. It may cost you friendships. And yet... You do not want to be looking and seeing someone you could have told about Jesus standing there wailing as you go to glory with him. As you give financially next week, uh, it's not about money. It's not about your budget for your church. It's not about IMB. Many of our missionaries are returning home this week because the IMB could no longer support them. <clears throat> I'm not one of them. I'm going back because God has not told me to stay in America. He's told me to stay there for now. And yet I tell you, it's not about the money. It's about our hearts. And, and I realize that I think you've set a goal of 50000 Don't look at that goal. Look at Jesus. Give your tithe to your church for the tithe, but then say, God, how much do you want me to sacrifice? Because Jesus sacrificed for me. Be willing to say whatever you want. Because when you give that whatever, you're going to see God do phenomenal things with it but he'll do even more phenomenal things in your heart. So in a few weeks, I want to hear that this church did exceedingly abundantly more than they were thinking they were going to do because of Jesus, because your eyes were on him, because he was your hope, because he was your desire. And then you will go to your neighbor, to your city, to the world. And you'll go with joy because you will be following in the footsteps of Jesus. Can I pray for us? Father, we, uh, what a blessing it's been to be with this body of Christ for, for this whole morning. And since that you are indeed here in this place, And Lord, I know that you want to do amazing things in us individually and in this church corporately, and I ask you to do that. I pray that they will look back on on the end of 2015 and 2016 and see where you have moved mountains in this community and beyond because they were obedient to you individually and corporately. Meet us at our greatest need this morning, Father. Help us to see your face. Help us to desire you above all else. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Will you Linda with me, please?